Amen. All right, let's go to the book of Titus tonight to start with. We've been doing a bunch. This is like the 12th session, I think, of of a pastoral epistles. And um, I want to do something a little different tonight to start with. It's not going to be as tedious as you may think, and I actually am doing it to prove a point to us. But let me say this. The thing that I think most believers have lost sight of is what we call context. Now, in, in Bible interpretation, context is everything. A text without a context is a pretext. Uh, Bible believers say that the King James Bible is, is our final authority. I fear that Bible believers have an issue that doesn't have anything to do with final authority, it has to do with first authority. That when they read a passage of Scripture, there are certain people that what they taught comes to their mind first instead of what the Bible's saying. And it's easy to have happen. You take Doc's stuff. He put out tons of stuff. I went to school there. I've listened to him thousands of hours, all that kind of stuff. But one of the biggest disadvantages of that I've seen with guys is they don't learn to read the Scriptures. When they read a Scripture, they think of what he said, and he's their first authority. And they go around challenging everybody based on his, what he said. What, what, here's what happens. It's easy, and it doesn't matter where you, who you learn under, it's easy to think, well, so-and-so said, well, but what does the Bible say? Amen. Okay? And if he was alive today, Doc would be the first to tell you that everything he said wasn't so. I'll tell you, how, I'll tell you about Christian authors real quick. In Christian writing... Almost every great author, let's say Ellie Maxwell, Ruth Paxson, Doc, uh, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer, all those guys, there'll be two or three that were their classical works. Even if they wrote 5, 10, 15, 20, or 30 books, you will find it to be so. And the, the key is to find those classical ones and study those instead of studying all of what one person wrote. Uh, you take Watchman Nee, he had some good stuff out there, but everything he wrote, his love was just repeat. So I want us to do this. We're going to start in Titus chapter 1, and here's the context. When these things were penned, that's what they were. They were penned. The first modern printing press, you might say, was the Gutenberg Press, around 1500 A.D. 1500 you understand? So when he told Timothy over there to give attendance to reading, it couldn't have been books. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about whenever you could get a hold of some scripture to make sure it gets read to God's people. That's what he's talking about. Because in the context of what he told Timothy is, is the work around the house of God. If you look real quick at 1 Timothy 4.13, then we'll get into Titus. 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come... Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. He's describing public ministry. He's saying, make sure the scriptures are read. Okay? Make sure that people are exhorted to live right and to doctrine. In the old Methodist and many of the other congregational type churches, they would have guys that had the gift of exhortation. Someone would get up and they'd preach the book, and the guy would get behind them and they would exhort people. They were called exhorters. 
That was very effective. A lot of your old, old-timey camp meetings were like that. They'd have singing, then they'd have preaching, then they'd have the exhorter, they'd have a time of prayer, and they'd sometimes do it all over again, same night. All right, Titus chapter 1, and I, I just said all that to say that this context of what we're reading is that these writings were sacred to them. They were special because there were so few of them. There were so few copies of them. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but over in the Old Testament, those kings were supposed to copy out what they had of the Scriptures by hand so they'd have their own copy. I don't know if you've ever done it. I've taken several books of the Bible and written them out by hand, word by word, just to impress upon myself how precious it was to have these words. Amen. You see, what's happened to Christians is they'll pick up the eight-foot shelf of somebody's writings and they will read ten times more of that than they will this book. And it ought to be the opposite. Amen. It really should be. Because just the reading of it does something. So watch this. Let's start in Titus 1. Titus chapter 1. Okay? And we're, we're going to read a little bit in this book of Titus, and we're going to talk about the overall you know, pastoral epistles a little bit tonight of an outline. Here we go. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. Notice what he says here to him. And ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no strength striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans, now remember he sent him to Crete, so the, these are the the, the, the local people, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Under the pure all things are pure, but in them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, 
that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient under their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, that is stealing. Purloining is stealing. Uh, even one of the synonyms of purloining is plagiarism. Stealing other people's stuff. But showing all good fidelity. You know why he says that to servants? It's called pilfering. It's called appropriating in the military. It's called taking stuff home in your lunchbox. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. See how reading the Bible is just amazing, ain't it? that they may adorn the doctrine of God and our Savior in all things. So when they live that way, it's like putting on, they are adorning what they might say. They're adorning the tract they hand out. They're adorning the gospel. See, without it, it's just the letter of the law. If there's anything that's missing today in Christianity, it's that right there. All right, watch. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. But put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy saved us, by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies, now watch, and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychius, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I determined there to winter. Bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. He's telling Titus, come for a refresher course. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. 
All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. You know how long that took? About six minutes. I hope that'll stick with you a little bit. That's six minutes of your life. And that's reading it out loud. I mean, I, sometimes it's good to read your Bible out loud. If you're like me, I can read pretty fast. But that doesn't mean I'm picking it up the same as when I have to read it out loud. Now, here's my point tonight. I want to talk about five or six things, depending on how I get through it. And I'm going to look at sort of a mixture of the verses between the three books. What I want to do next time, Lord willing, is... If you will, jot down anything that comes to your mind that's in these books or associated with it. We'll do a little question and answer time also next time. My first point is the call. We're dealing with what we call, we call them pastoral epistles. Now, I know, I know that we'll take, you know, and we'll say, study to show thyself approved unto God, a work that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we, we kind of put that on every Christian. Okay, I get that. But in the context... Studying is for that person that's called. Amen. Now, here's why I say that. Do you know the difference between learning and studying? Learning is when you sit at the feet of someone and you receive stuff. Studying is what you have to do to teach the learner. So, the only place it tells you to study is in the Pauline epistles, isn't it? Where? In the pastoral epistles of the Pauline epistles, right? Why? It's not that Christians shouldn't study, but I really believe a lot of fellows have made a mistake taking that verse and putting it on the believer and telling them, open your Bible and study, get something from God. No. Let them read their Bible and graze like a sheep and you give them something from God. Amen. See, that's not a lazy Christian. Is a sheep lazy that's out there eating the grass? No, he's a sheep. <laughs> I, 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 I've used this illustration before. Can you imagine the shepherd goes out in the morning and he says, okay, sheep, where do you all want to graze today? And they all start talking. Well, I think, before it's over with, and he looks at him, he goes, I think I'll have to make that decision evidently. We're going over here. Well, guess what's about to happen now? Half of them are going to say, why are we going over there? Why, why aren't we over here? Why aren't we over there? I like this better. That's what happens if you tell somebody, go study your Bible, get something out of it. You will get something out of it by reading it, by hearing good teaching and preaching this devotion. Do you, did you recognize in Titus alone how much of it has to do with the Christian life? And all, none of it had to do with prophecy? How about that? Do you know why? Because prophecy is going to happen because God said so. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, withheld from the Lord Jesus Christ when He was coming back because He loved His disciples so much He would have whispered it to Him right before He left. By the way, boys, <laughs> boom! <laughs> and the Father's like, I can't do that, son. I, you, you got to love them too much. You loved them to the end. Now, I'm saying that, I'm going to talk about the call first then. Let's look at a few verses. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. So I'm not saying Christians shouldn't study their Bible. I'm not. But I'll tell you what I've noticed. A lot of times when a Christian gets totally focused on trying to study their Bible, they don't get themselves fed. Amen. The Bible primarily 
is a grazing book. Do you remember he said to Timothy, the husbandman is first partaker? You know what husbandry is? It's growing stuff. It's both farming and livestock. On the, on the main road going through the outback of Queensland, they had a big old sign when you go through the city, town, whatever. If you blink your eyes, you miss it. The, the you're going into and going out of, we're on each side of the same sign, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it said, Longreach Pastoral College. And I don't know what happened to the picture. I had a picture of a bunch of men one time. We went out there doing outreach and had them standing under it. Well, it wasn't about preaching. It was about husbandry. Cattle and sheep and livestock and growing stuff. Pastoral epistles and pastoral theology is about growing stuff. That has been so lost in our modern age of preaching. Amen. And I understand about preaching. I, I'm an exhorting. I understand that you, you have to exhort people. You, you, you have to stir them up. But the problem is, one of the reasons people have been satisfied to go on to say one service a week is because they're getting just as much out of one service a week as they were three times a week. Amen. And I'm talking about in Bible-believing places. Because the letter of the law killeth. It's just there. It's like the worst fast food you could think of. Now, every one of you can think of some fast food you like, okay? That you splurge on every now and then, but you know you shouldn't live on it, amen? But man, some of it sure is good when you get a hankering for it, ain't it? You know what I mean? You just get that craving. Thank, thank the Lord I get them about 2 o'clock in the morning when everything's closed. <laughs> I wake up and go, oh, I'd like, and I was like, praise God, it's closed. Now I, I can't even give in to my temptation. <laughs> but but I, I look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me for a minute. But I, I'm saying all that to say that it is, it is so. It's great for a Christian. But I, I, th- I fear that Christians haven't been taught to learn so that someone who studies can feed them. Learning is a skill in itself. And you read your Bible, it's all about learning. Teach me, O Lord. Learn. When God's teaching you, you're not studying. He's teaching you. Okay? When I took flying, I needed them to teach me before I could study anything. Because I would have killed myself. Okay? No. Not at all. And anything is dangerous. Scuba diving, same. I was like, you know, no wonder. And if somebody had the, this is so funny. If somebody had the slightest bit of knowledge, they were the worst person to teach. They knew just enough to get themselves killed and everybody there. Amen. And they should just be quiet and realize that after the first 30 minutes, we're, we're, we're beyond what they ever knew. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. You know the verse. I know you do. <clears throat> I want to start in verse 8 because it's a full sentence. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, understand in the context, he's saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Lord. And he said, don't be ashamed of me. People were obviously trying to get Timothy to be ashamed of Paul's bondages. His jail, his beaten, all the stuff. Because there were guys in the same city where Paul would get beaten and cast out that stayed there. And they were Christians. They were good. It just happened to be Paul's lot in life. And he said, don't be ashamed of me. Now, watch. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, 
but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And I'm not saying make it spooky or any of that stuff, but I, we have way too many men preaching who aren't called. Amen. And someone says, well, how can you make that statement? Yes, yeah, it's a bold statement, make, but it's true. Yeah. It's really true. Amen. And the problem is, someone says, well, listen, do you, you know why there's so many splinter-off churches around the world, independent Baptist churches? Because you've got so many guys who are willing to do that that ain't called. You trim that number down, and people got to find a way to make it work. I'm serious. Amen. You trim down the number of fellows who are out there preaching, and you don't have so many splinter groups who are disgruntled. I, I used to tell missionaries, don't, when you get to the field, don't get anxious and let a handful of disgruntled people who are saved get together and make that your core. And they would do it all the time. And that's all they'd ever have. I, I describe God's work like, it's like Velcro, hook and loop, okay? Somebody comes, and now they may not know it consciously or they'll never say it to you, but they're looking, they can tell who the core is, and they decide, do I want to hook up with the core or not? And that's, it's, people are doing it more than you realize. You do it without realizing. That's who we are as humans. It's the same thing in every other part of life, whether it be business or clubs or Groups, it's, it's why they, it's why I remember an NBA coach said he took this team and he was very famous already. And there's these two star players. One of them was a big old giant guy. One of them was a guard, you know. And the guard got knocked flat on and the big guy stepped, his own teammate stepped over and walked the other in the court. And he said he turned to his assistant and said, I think we have a problem here. And they would get in team meetings and we're never going to win a championship with you on the team. And then they'd fight all the time. Well, this is going to be a really good season, isn't it? Now, I said to say this, that, that God's people, every time you get people together, you have a core. You have a spirit. And so, when we talk about this calling, you're called to a believer life. Everybody is. But the ministry is a call to a more demanding life. Spiritually. Someone says, well, that shouldn't be so. Of course it should be so. Because we're going to, if we get to it tonight, we're going to talk about this idea of a man and a woman in the ministry should have a follow safe life. You know what that means? It's safe for somebody to follow you. Amen. Your preaching should be follow safe. It should be so thought out and refined and filtered before you get up and shoot off our mouths that if someone takes the advice and follows it, it's safe. But that isn't happening today. Phillips Brooks in 1877 said, Do not use current events in your sermons. He said, Because it still remains to be seen what is really going on. Australians will say the jury's still out on it. I like that one. You know all this stuff going on around us? The jury's still out. We ain't got no idea what's going on. And, someone, and, and, and Christians, listen. <coughs> Christians are a little more clear-headed because number one, we don't wake up hungover in the morning. Okay? Some of the guys that come to work, you can just tell they didn't have just a quiet night and go to bed reading their Bible and wake up and have a devotion and come to work. <laughs> they, are, they are. You know why they call it groggy? In the English language, grog is beer and drink. 
Oh, he's been on the grog. That means he's been drinking. So when you wake up groggy, it's a hangover. In, in Old English, under the weather, in Australia, if you say someone's under the weather, it means they got a hangover. <laughs> now we say, what, if someone's sick, oh, he's under the weather. Well, you ever read over in Proverbs where that guy felt really sick because he had too much alcohol in him? He's had too much poison in him? Right? Amen. Now I settle that to say that, that the, the believer's called to a high life, a believer life, but this call is, first of all, it's the spirit call to submission and sonship at its highest level. Look, look across the page, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition to science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith, grace be with thee. Each We read Titus 1, chapter 1 tonight, verses 1 to 4. All through these passages, all through these passages, okay, what we find is we find Paul reminding Timothy that it's an actual calling. Remember when we started this, we talked about in Acts 16. He's going along. He finds Timothy. Timothy has a believer's testimony. And he says, him and Paul have go with him. That's the start of it. It's a call. It's, a, it's the spirit call to submission. I, I, think, I think that what's happened, look, <coughs> I hadn't been saved but a couple of years, and a friend of mine came back from making a hospital visit, and he was all tore up. And he said he was in the elevator, and this guy got on the elevator at the hospital and had a suit on and stuff. This is like 1975, 76. And he, the guy looked dressed up. He said to him, well, are you a preacher? And he goes, no, I'm too honest to be a preacher, son. <laughs> and the kid was all tore up. Now, I'd only been saved about a year or two, but I knew enough about human nature. I said, well, what's that got you so tore up for? He goes, well, I just can't. I said, do you understand there is a whole lot of crooked preachers? Because there's a whole lot of crooked people. <laughs> I grew up on the horse track. <laughs> uh, my, my dad taught me a lesson when I was just a young fellow. I'd work for him for maybe like three bucks a week every day and go to school, which is good. I'm glad I didn't. So one day he said to me, he said, hey, he said, I'll bet you I can pick up that two by six with my teeth. And I said, Daddy, you got a big mouth, but ain't that big. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, how about a week's pay? I said, you're on. All I can think of is doubling my money, man piece of cake he goes over wraps a leather strap around it from the horse shank puts a leather strap in his mouth and picks up the two by six. Oh, i'm cry- i'm crying foul i am crying foul he said i'll tell you what he said you ask anybody that walks by here let them be the judge you tell the story and see what they say so i saw a guy walking a horse he liked me you know pat me on the head i said hey come here and i pitched it man i pitched my story and he looked at me and i'll never forget he put his hand on my little old shoulder and he goes son you just learned a great lesson. <laughs> he said, listen closely. I said, you mean? He goes, you lost, buddy. But when he put his, I'll never put his hand, he goes, you just learned a great lesson. <laughs> so after that, I listened real closely when someone's offering me something or challenging me. True. Now, why I said that was this. It doesn't matter if there are, I don't care. I don't care if nine out of ten guys are crooks. I don't care. It's a calling. It's a noble calling. It's a necessary calling. See, here's what's happened. People have begun to doubt whether this calling is necessary because of the lack of spiritual feeding that's going on. And, and I'm not, for me, I don't, I make no reference at all to anything but Bible-believing churches. Amen. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm talking about in our churches. 
It's getting dry. It's getting doctrinal. Okay? A lot of times it's divisive. And the problem we have is it's a necessary calling. And listen, it's naturally misunderstood. It has to be naturally misunderstood. Any leading will be misunderstood. You take men who know how to lead men in combat, they're misunderstood by anybody but understands how to, how to, what goes on in combat. And then it's the next life is like nothing else. So this calling is like nothing else. It's a calling. It's a spirit call. It's a selfless call. It's a selfless call. It's not an aspiration. It's not an ambition. It, it, it's not something that someone looks at and says, well, yeah, I, I think I would accept that. It's selfless. If I am to be like Christ, did He ever put Himself first? No. Never. A believer should live a selfless life, but a leader must live a selfless life. And when you read these pages in here and you read those lists in 1 Timothy 1 and Titus 1 and then all the other stuff he tells him, it's a selfless life. It's a solitary call. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me. And like I said, we just read the whole book of, of Titus. So, you know, we've gotten a little bit of edification here. Even if what I say doesn't ring a bell, at least Titus did. <laughs> but uh, 2 Timothy 4, and what I'm saying that is that these pages are so full. But they're not going to be full if this is not our first authority. Amen. I don't care what your final authority is. What is your first authority? What it, let, me give you, let me say this about a dictionary. You know, most people's first authority is not what the dictionary says about a word. It's our experience. We just kind of guess. We wing it. Now, we live in an age where you don't have... I used to have... It was about this... It was about eight inches tall. I found it in an old, old bookstore in New England. And I even took it with me to Australia. It was a true, unabridged Webster's Dictionary. I mean, and it was rich. I mean, you'd get in there and you'd find an English word in your Bible that might have five or ten. One of them had 21 different definitions, the same word. The word perfect has over seven definitions. And all of them are used in some way in your King James Bible. And so, <laughs> I'm saying that even on our first authority, our own vocabulary shouldn't be, my first, shouldn't be my first authority. The vocabulary of the Bible needs to be my first authority. That's why they used to say, get you a Bible and a dictionary. Bible and a dictionary. It, then go ahead, if you want to, get a concordance. But a lot of guys' first authority is their what? <laughs> Blue Letter Bible or Sword Searcher or whatever. And those are great tools, by the way. But have you ever made yourself find a verse? When you make yourself find a verse, you would be surprised why that, how that will stick in your head later. And your hands will go to it. Now, that doesn't mean, yeah, because, yes, because you wanted it, you searched, you found it. I don't mean to do that about everything. I get that. It's not, nothing I'm saying to you is one of these things where, okay, I'll never use a concordance again. That would be stupid. Holy mackerel, you'll get two verses looked up the rest of your life. I mean, there's 1,189 chapters. There's 30,000 plus verses. Just, I'm just saying every now and then do that for the exercise of it. But look at 2 Timothy for a minute. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 4. We won't get 
as far as I thought, but I don't think it's that big a deal. 2 Timothy 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. It would not hurt you to put a little dot there and say, Lord, help me learn to think this way. You see what Paul did? He left it with God. He left it with God. <laughs> the Lord reward him. Of whom be thou aware also, for it greatly withstood our words. Now watch. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. It is a solitary calling. Now, if the people who are for you don't go with you, then you should question a little bit. Okay? But you are at some point in, in ministry, it's going to be solitary. Missionary work should not be so widely different than what we do here on American soil. We just have made it that way. Somehow, and, and I understand how it works, the psychology of it, but to boil it down, it's like this. Over here, we get something established. So we think that it's the rest of the world that needs evangelizing, and it's the rest of the world that's a mission field, and we settle in. And then we get a little bit of Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night going. Then it gets to Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or Sunday morning, Sunday night. <coughs> it's not how many times you meet. It's not. But it's the spirit behind why it's happening. Listen, have you ever had a bad meal? I mean, you could hardly get it down. I've, I was on deputation. And not just the three years it took to get there, but you'd, I'd come back and you'd go out and visit. And I'm telling you, I've had some very interesting meals. Someone say, well, how was that meal? It was interesting. Interesting can mean a lot of things you'll find if you talk to me much. Or it's like the guy, they brought their child to the piano teacher and they were thought, you know, this is a, my child's a prodigy. And he played and the parents said, what do you think? He said, well, I've never heard anything quite like that before. <laughs> and I've eaten some stuff. We were eating one night and this lady, this fellow married to a lady from India, immaculate home. You could smell the cooking. I knew what was in it. She brings out this big bowl of fruit. Only it's not just fruit. It's fruit with a kick. With spices. And the guy next to me, the young guy, he starts loading his plate. I said, you might want to try that first. I said, because you will eat everything on that plate if I have anything to say about it. Oh, man, I love fruit. I said, you might. And he just looked at me and loaded it up. And he took about two bites and he started sweating. Had that curry in there. Had the real deal in it. And I was over here just picking through mine, and I'm laughing. He goes, what am I going to do? I said, you're going to finish every bite. I'll get sick. I said, and you'll sleep outside tonight too, but you're going to eat every bite. <laughs> I think he thought he was in boot camp all of a sudden because I kind of meant it, what I said. What I'm saying is this. There's times when you have to be willing for it to be you and God. There's times in the ministry. Now, now look, there's times when it's just you and God. It can be a time of misunderstanding by somebody. It can be a time when somebody's up to mischief. It can be a time when the ministry has to get cleansed. Alan Radpath used to say about old Achan when they had to kill Achan. Remember Achan in the book of Joshua? That some, some people's sub, subtraction brings additions. Now, you don't set out for that, and that's the hardest thing. On, I, one time I had to be a part of that of someone I, I really cared about. And then God used it, and for years now, for decades, they've been living for God. 
But that was probably the most single most difficult situation I ever had to do is leading people. So it's not that we have that bad spirit, but that it's a solitary. And then I want to say this quickly about the call. It's a soldier, shepherd, steward, soul winner call. It's those four things. You know, <clears throat> I, I've thought so many times that if, if, if a picture is worth a thousand words, and, and I do believe it is, that there's many things in our Bible that give us these pictures. And these words are pictures that help us picture the work of God. You know, <clears throat> when we begin to think about what it is to follow Him, well, He said as what? I talk about soldiers. And their hardness as what? A good soldier, Jesus Christ. It's a call to be a soldier. It's a call to be a shepherd. You know, I don't know if you've ever read about true shepherds, but their life is hard. They're out there at night. They sleep at night. They take turns watching the sheep at night because that's the dangerous time. Right there in the little place where I'm living, it's just trees everywhere and stuff. There's just this little, not maybe half the size of these benches. And I can pull up there and I can see, the other night I pulled up there and there were three fawns and two does there. One of them's got a limp, obviously been hit by it because not too far from the, from the I-40. And uh, I, I said to them, they don't understand me yet. I'm working on that. But I said, y'all are safe unless it gets really bad this winter. But until then, you're safe. <laughs> if the bottom falls out, one of you may have to contribute to the cause, but in the meantime, you're safe. <laughs> I got this big old giant groundhog. He's huge. He's about the second biggest I've ever seen. And he just waddles around in there. He's safe for now. As long as he don't go undermining nothing around there, you know, make the porch fall off. The shepherds lived hard lives to protect those sheep. Every time I look out there and, and you see livestock or you see, you think in the old days, the shepherd's life was a difficult life. We're to be stewards. We're to steward over. Uh, look, look, look quickly. We're, I've given up on getting through the other five points. So let's just look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 for a minute. And down around verse, uh, <clears throat> down around verse 5. 2 Timothy 4, 5. Though, this is where I get those four words from. For years and years, I've taught my guys this. He says, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of that ministry. Watch thou in all things, that's the shepherd. Endure afflictions, that's the soldier. Do the work of an evangelist, that's the soul winner. Make full proof of thy ministry, that's the steward. It's a, it's a call. And this call is it's to the highest level of all those things. See, when, 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 when we expect of ourselves... When someone doesn't have to expect that, when we expect of ourselves that highest thing, that's where things start to happen with God. All right, secondly, the commission then. In these passages, look at Titus chapter 1, and we looked already at this word commit, where he said, I've committed. The word commission then, that's where it comes from. Uh, commission is, is not, you know, like the guy said, a camel's a horse put together by a committee. Um, you get that in <laughs> They got the pieces, they got more pieces that, to finish than they started with. A commission is not a commission is when something is, is committed to you. So they talk about NCOs, non-commissioned officers, and commissioned officers. But they all have a commission because they have something committed to them. He said, Timothy, I've committed this to. Look at chapter Titus one verse three. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching. This is Paul talking about himself. 
which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. The thing about Paul is he knew that he had a commission from God. See, that commission was not about status. It wasn't about power. It wasn't about numbers or building or achieving anything. That commission, there's, I've got four things jotted down. One was a commission to be a student. It, is this Bible not a big book? It is. It's an eternal book, isn't it? It's such a big, the reach of the Bible is, you can't, you can't limit the Bible. Because there's so many things in that book. There's so, a verse here and a verse there. There was a fellow one time, and, and he, was, he, was, he was desperate. He'd been gradually stealing from his company. He was a successful salesman. He was in Chicago in a motel room, and he reached down. And those days, you know, you shave with a straight razor, and you, you'd strop it. And he reached down, and he tore a piece of paper out of, out of a Bible, and he went to wipe his razor on it, and he read the verse, and he sat down on the bed. And he, but he never even finished shaving, shaving. By the time he got done, he got on his knees, got saved. He went to his boss, confessed everything, said, do whatever you want, put me in jail. And they said, no, we're just going to let you work it off. And he became a powerful Christian witness. The Bible has a range that, that there's no limit to this range and a reach and results and rewards. The commission was to be a student. Paul, I mean, there's verse after verse on this thing of learning. The commission was to suffering. You know, what God gives us Look at Romans 8 for a minute. Romans 8. What God gives us is a chance to suffer. I don't know, you know, what everybody has different parts. But this I, this I do know. Everybody has different things, okay? But I know this, that God enjoys watching someone give him their all. Because he already gave his all, right? But it's more than that. The only way I can ever be absolutely, totally complete is to give him all of me. Every part of him, any, any part of him that I would keep back is incomplete. Somebody gave me that bag of apples the other day, right dead in the middle. You know what he was talking about, one bad apple? Right in the middle of it was the bad apple. So I'm having to pour them out. You got to throw it out there. Maybe a groundhog wants it. <laughs> Something wants it. Throw it a long ways away. That's any part of my life or your life that you don't give him. It's like that apple. That's what it really is. See, it's not him trying to find fault with it. It's, it's, it's bad because it's going to corrupt the other things. And... The, the thing that, that we should understand, if possible, is that how God feels about it. Look, for example, at verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 16. Romans eight sixteen, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Okay? By the way, biblically, defini dictionary definition... When he talks about the spirit of adoption in verse 15, he's talking about inheritance. Adoption in, in that passage is not about when you t somebody gives you their name only. It's about inheritance. 
And when at the end of the way, when someone gets their inheritance, it's called receiving their adoption. That's why it says the spirit of adoption. Watch. We're children then heirs, verse 17, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. What's the next word? If. 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 Are you going to heaven? Yes. But my inheritance is related to what follows the if. Yes. Your inheritance and mine inheritance is connected to suffering for Christ. Suffering for Christ isn't getting arrested, per se. It isn't getting beaten up. It isn't... One, one old-timer said, one of the old-timers said, for a child of God to be tempted is to suffer. In other words, when you determine God's going to have all of you, and the old enemy, he's going to throw all kind of... And he, after a while, he gets more and more subtle with you. Because the frontal assault ain't going to do nothing. You're just going to thump him. Get thee behind me. So he tries to get inside your guard. But notice what it says. Joint heirs with Christ if... Do you know how few Christians think that way? If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This is why he said he gloried in tribulations. This is why he said he gloried in infirmities. Our infirmities are an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I'm going to stick with you through this. You, you get what I'm saying? Through it. Not even in spite of it, through it. And so the commission is one of suffering. Okay, what makes, what proves the soldier? Suffering. What do they give the special combat awards for? Someone who suffered. Okay? You know why most of those Medal of Honors are posthumously? Because <laughs> what it costs to earn it. Posthumously, after you're dead. Okay? The after action report, someone else reads it and says, Whoa, let's run this up the chain. Let's run this up the flagpole. Shepherding. You know what shepherding is? It's suffering, it's sleepless nights. It's red eyes in the daytime because you stayed up and watched those sheep at night. See? You, you, take, you take that soul winner, soul winner. Look, some people, and, and I know it's hard, but some people take gospel rejection so personally that, they, that it keeps them from being a good, genuine, charitable witness. Of course people are going to react that way. Listen, I got saved much in part to a guy who just started praying for me and everywhere I went to do something wrong, he happened to be there. Happened. I'm not exaggerating. I'll never forget this. One night I'd come out, I'd just case of beer in my hands. I'd been going. I would stay up all night Saturday night. This guy would drag me to church Sunday morning, this other fellow. I'd sit in that adult, that college and career. I didn't know what that meant either. I wasn't in college and I didn't have a career. Uh, I was sitting there. And three-fourths of people I've been out with the night before, they're deacons and trustees kids, Southern Baptist Church, little country town, no stoplight, Central Florida, Wildwood, where we'd sit on that bag of Wildwood weed. And everywhere I went, he'd show up. And he just, not, not, every now and then he'd say, I'm praying for you. So I come out one night, 
And I've got this case of beer in my hands, and I run into him at the door, and I sat it down, and I got him against that wall, and I said, Buddy, if you follow me one more time, we're going to dance. And he started laughing. He goes, I said, you were laughing? He goes, I ain't following you. I come here to get milk on the way home so my wife don't get upset. And it so disarmed me, I started laughing. He said, praying for you. And I, was, and I just like, Phew. after I got saved, this young guy that I had graduated high school with, you know, like six months earlier, he come up to me and he goes, hey, congratulations, you got saved. I always thought he was weird. A little weird. He's too nice. And I wasn't going to shake his hand. I said, nah. He goes, what do you mean I got saved? And he started telling me. I said, yeah, that's what happened. He goes, well, I am too. And I go, that's why you're so weird? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's why I'm so weird. We went and then, this is a long time ago. This is 1973. We went and sat down in the little corner store there for lunch and had a little hamburger, you know, the little counter they used to have where you'd sit on the round stools. And I'd say, tell me what happened to me. Tell me more. <laughs> and he was the first one to ever start telling me what had happened to me. I knew something had happened. I couldn't even tell my dad. I said, Dad, I found it. He goes, yeah, whatever. What would you find? I said, I don't know yet. But I did. <laughs> and you remember, Brother Dad. He said, it'll wear off. Well, God tricked him, saved him. Ha, ha. <laughs> After he got saved, I told him, I said, wear off, huh, Dad? Huh? You fanatic? But my point being that suffering is part of it. Being gossiped about as a pastor, as a leader. Being lied about. Listen, it's a blessing to get lied about. Amen. Thank God they don't have something bad the truth to tell on you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah, you're lying. Amen. Go for it. God isn't going to miss it. See, if we're not careful, we forget what this thing's about. Now, we don't, you don't... It's like Oswald Chambers says, you don't choose the place of your martyrdom, okay? You don't do that. But I really think Christians are way too soft today about the things that matter to God. And in church, they really are. It should be, and this is why I was saying not a novice in those two lessons. We have to teach our, our ministerial students, our novices, we have to teach them to get ready to suffer with the right spirit. If we can't suffer the way Christ did and Paul did and Peter did and the apostles did, we're missing something. We don't have enough God. Okay? And then quickly, the commission of stewarding. You know what he said? He said, be instant in season and what? Out of season. That's stewardship. Uh, we were taught, be ready to preach, pray, or die. And on deputation, I used to joke with my fellow missionaries. I said, some of y'all are so ill-prepared that when you're called to preach, you pray you can die. <laughs> Oh, Gilbert, rah, rah, rah. you're always ready. I said, yeah, I'm ready. Well, you never get called on. I said, I get called on about one out of ten times I'm ready, but I sure am glad that one time that I'm ready. Amen. I heard Danny Farley say, he said, I used to not always be ready. He said, I got to meet one time they called on me, and he said, it was a disaster. And he said, I've been ready every time since then. Amen. He said his wife, they gave him a little cruise to go on, you know, anniversary or something. And he's in the cabin on the cruise, and he's in the morning writing. And she says, what? Miss Marshall's like, what are you doing? You never know. I might get asked to preach today. She said, on this boat? He said, I am not going to live a day not being prepared. I was like, amen, brother. Amen. Look, when, when you live in a violent society and you carry a form of self-defense, a weapon, your first hope is you don't ever have to use it. A Navy SEAL 
decorated sniper who runs a security company in California, of all places, teaches all those high-end executives that he gets paid a ton of money that you do everything except use your weapon whenever possible. You know how you know somebody's, even I don't care if he's 70 years old, a novice, he's always talking about, I want to shoot somebody, I want to, you're an idiot. I don't matter how right you are, you're still in for a long trip. All right? I mean, they're going to take forever to clear you. And if you messed up, you're in big trouble. I said all that to say that commission, all right? And then quickly, the commission is one of submission. Look at First Tim, uh, Titus 3, since you're there, and we're going to close with this. And we'll continue these points next time. Verse 1, But put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man. Hmm. How about that? How about that? Even if they're bad men. Doesn't it say no man? Oh, I'm sorry. It meant speak evil of no conservative you like. Yeah, no Baptist you like. Oh, that's what it, that's what it, that's what it means. No, it says speak evil of no man. You know why? Because you don't know who's who. Uh, there's been guys that everyone thought, oh, he's, got, he's such a blessing. Later on, he wasn't such a blessing. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So, when we think of this commission, it, it, listen, we're going to close with this. It's a culture of being pastoral. Pastoral takes courage, and we'll talk about that. It takes toughness, but, and we're talking about suffering here. But there's a culture that's missing today, and it's a pastoral culture. Now, we're Bible believers, so it's easy, listen, it's easy to get a Bible believer to say amen on the Bible. Right? We believe the Bible. Everyone says amen. And then he says, do all things without murmuring. And they say, oh me. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You get what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, the, the greatest enemy we have is all this constant social stuff and radio and all this stuff. Because pretty soon Christians think if, if, they're, if they're at all to the right, they're okay. No, they're having to speak evil of someone else, negative about someone. You say, well, they're revealing them. All they're revealing is what you and I could know without reading nothing. But my question is, does it crowd out the Spirit of Christ in us when it comes to ministering? I don't care what someone's political persuasion is. I just don't care. I care if they're saved or lost. And here's why. Because they could be as conservative as you want and be going straight to hell and be mean as a snake and selfish and duplicious. Okay? And there are people... When, when I was uh, doing the thing with creation research, I'd get to interview Christian men who were creation scientists. And, and a lot of them had degree, doctor's degrees and stuff. Two of them had been rank evolutionists before they got saved and became creationists. I used to love to get to talk to them or read or listen to their interviews and transcribe them because you got to hear somebody who I'm talking, they were smart and they were sharp at evolution. And then they got saved. And then all of a sudden, all that sharpness and all that strength and all that mind is used for God. 
you don't know who can get saved. The further out they are, the more likely they are to get saved. The people who are in the middle or over here on the right, they're self-satisfied enough, and they've got enough Christian people telling them they're okay that it's going to take a disaster for them to get saved. So that's so in these in these three books, and here's what I, if you get a chance, okay, it took six minutes to read it. Over the next week, you could read those three books. Jot down some things. We'll work on this outline. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We pray thee, Father, that you would help us tonight to assimilate these things. <clears throat> we pray thee, Father, tonight that you'd help us to, to do everything within our power to personally live up to these things we've talked about tonight. Lord, help us to remember that if we stumble at it, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy would be if we have no intention of doing it. And so, Father, help us to understand the difference between striving and having to take care of some things every now and then. But, Lord, help us to have that thing up there where you want it. That expectation, that desire, as high as you want it to be. I pray it in Jesus' name.